welcome to the Elevate Live podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. What is Easter about? Easter is about the greatest story ever told. It's about a father whose love is more precious than gold, who sent his only son Jesus to die for the sins of man, to reveal to everyone who would believe that God has a perfect plan. Easter is about the greatest love ever shown. It's about a son who willingly gave up his throne to come live as a servant, to show a better way. His actions and words were God's heart on display. Easter is about a cross, a crucifixion, sin, and shame. It's about Jesus' body that was broken, wounded, and maimed. He took our punishment. He paid our price. He proved himself our friend the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. Easter is about a grave, a tomb they placed him in. The devil and all hell rejoiced because it looked like a sure win. But three days later, there was no body found. Jesus rose from the dead because no grave could hold his body down. Easter is about death being swallowed up in victory it's about the greatest triumph in all of history. It's not about a teacher, a religion, or a philosophy of man. Easter is about Jesus Christ, the solid rock on which you can stand. Easter is about his story. It's about a no greater love. It's about a God who sent his son to earth from heaven above. Easter is about you becoming all God created you to be through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus came to set you free. That's what Easter is about. For the next few minutes, I'd like just to talk to you about really this Easter story. That Easter is about so many different things. But most importantly, Easter is about how much God loves you. You know, one of the greatest needs that we have, we don't just consciously think about it. We don't walk around and talk about it. But it's almost as important as the air that we breathe. And that is our need to feel loved. The people that we do life with or don't do life with are because of that need. You see, when we feel loved by somebody, we want to be around them. We want to do life with them. When we don't feel loved by somebody, we want to get as far away from them as possible. It's a deep need that we all have. Again, almost as important as the air that we breathe. In fact, when you don't feel loved, you sometimes don't feel like breathing. When things that have happened in all of our lives that have hurt us or wounded us, it takes the breath out of us, because that's how important love is. 
But you see, it's not just our need to be loved. You also have a great need to love. And God knew this. And probably the most famous verse, the most famous scripture that the whole Bible turns on, the axis on which the whole Bible turns on is John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved. He didn't just love us. He so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that if we would believe, we would not perish but have everlasting life. Can I just tell you that one of the most important things about you is not just the breath that you breathe or your need to feel loved and to be loved, but one of the most important things about you that really defines you is your beliefs. If you live long enough, you find out that your beliefs are shaped by a lot of different things. Our beliefs are shaped how, based on how we were raised. Our beliefs are shaped by people who have been in our lives. Our beliefs sometimes, unfortunately, are shaped by people who leave our lives. There's a lot of things that shape what it is that we believe, and yet this whole story that you just saw portrayed in this great C production is something that you have to understand about yourself, and that is that you have to own your beliefs. And some of us live on what I would call the default side of belief rather than the design side of belief. We just, we believe by default. We believe based on what society says, or we, we believe based on what uh, our college universities say, or we, we believe based on what our family believes. But beliefs are very personal. In fact, I like to ask the question, what's the most important part of a tree? And it doesn't take long to answer because you know it's the part of the tree that you don't see. And the part of the tree that you don't see is the roots of the tree. And yet the roots of the tree not only determine the health of the tree, but it determines how the tree grows. And eventually it determines what kind of fruit grow on that tree. So are your beliefs. Your beliefs are so important that it will determine how your life grows. Everything around you, how it goes and the kind of fruit that there is in your life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you believe that, the Bible says, then you get everything that God has for you on this side of life that's called eternal life. See, eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts when we make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Because the fact is, is that all of us are not just human beings that have a spiritual experience like on Easter. But the truth is we're all spiritual beings that are having a human experience. And that's what makes your beliefs so important. So see, Easter is about how much God loves you. Can you imagine somebody telling you, I love you, and you say, I just don't believe it. But what proves belief? What proves that people actually do love us? Isn't it their actions that prove that they love us? Like somebody could say, I love you all day long, but if, they, if their actions don't prove it, you see, for all of us, our actions speak louder than our words. So it's one thing for God to say, hey, I love you, and I sent my son for you. But it's another thing for that son, Jesus, 
to actually give his life for you and for me. You see, he took action on his belief, and he requires us to do the same, to take action on our belief. Well, this uh, last uh, week, in fact, yesterday at 4.30, uh, my daughter, one of my daughters, Whitney, who her and her husband, Claire, are the ones who put this whole production together, and she was the one that was singing at the end right here, but she sent me this, this text, and she said, have you seen this kid? And see, some of you didn't notice the youngest member of our choir, but he was right on the left side, of uh, stage right, but to your left. And it was a 10-year-old kid that was just up here worshiping God. I was telling my son, I said, that kid is amazing. But my daughter, Whitney, sent me this text yesterday. She goes, have you seen this? I said, no. He posted it recently on his YouTube page. Well, if you've raised kids, or if you're raising kids, you know that at 10 years of age, they're usually not talking like this kid. And I thought, you know what? Whitney sent it to me, and she never dreamed, and he never dreamed, and his parents never dreamed that he'd be preaching his first sermon at 10 years of age on YouTube. Watch this. Hi, my name's Renzo Gloria, and today I'm going to be talking about who are you. So let's get into it. What do you do when you go bankrupt? What do you do when your family is torn apart? What do you do when health fails you? What do you do when your platform disappears? What do you do when life fails you? What do you do when you make one bad decision and you get all sad and you just don't know what to do? Well, it's easy. Just ask yourself one question. Who are you? Who are you? But the answer is easy. You're a child of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Wait, wait. Whoa, that's cool. You're a child of God? The one who risen from the dead? That's crazy. Man, I, I, I'm thankful for that. Can you believe that? The God that has a personal relationship with you? That's crazy. And you could say, yeah, but how does he love you if there's billions of people around the world? And doesn't he love everybody? How can he love everybody the same if there's 7 billion people on earth? Well, it's easy. God is God. It's something unexplainable. He's God. His beloved son, Jesus, came and died on the cross and rose in three days. How can you do that? That's amazing. He's the living God, guys. He's the living God, the king of kings. Well, it's easy because he's God. He has a personal relationship with you and me, with you and me, all right? He has a personal relationship with everybody. He loves everybody the same because we're child of the living God. All right, guys. Don't forget, I'm Renzo Gloria, and may God be with you all. God bless y'all.
His parents are right here on the second row. He preached with me today. You can be seated. Can I just tell you, in case nobody's told you, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. And when you're a child of God, can I just tell you, he loves you. No matter what you've done. No matter if you believe it or not. You're a child of God. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8 that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were sinners. That means while we were unbelievers. Even if you don't believe, he still died for you. But if you don't believe, here's the problem. You don't get any benefits of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you do believe, you get it all. You get it all. Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man came to seek and save those that are lost. Some of you today, you may not see yourself as lost, but you know something's missing. You know that there's something more. I saw something, again, that went viral um, on these digital media things. It just kind of, it's amazing to me what kind of gets out there. And what you're about to see is a true story about a guy that lost his dog. And for three years every day, he went looking for his dog. I sent one of my pastor friends a text who has a boxer. His name's Bo the Boxer. And today I said, just wanted to wish you a happy resurrection weekend. I'm believing God's best for you. And by the way, give your dog a hug for me. So I'm not showing you this video because I'm a dog lover, but I am a do unashamedly a dog lover. Watch this true story. Look. Some of y'all, you don't even know God's looking for you. He's looking for you. Even when we're not looking for him, he's looking for us. And he's got so much in store for you. You can be astray if you want to. But you're God's son. You're God's daughter. You're a child of God. And Easter is to remind you that God loves you. But another thing about Easter is it, it's about Jesus being who he claimed to be. You know, he wasn't just another teacher. In college, I studied comparative religions. It's like the world is on this spiritual search. Everybody's on a spiritual search. They just don't know it. St. Augustine said, 
that there's like a void in every person's heart. And until they find God, they never feel fulfilled. Money won't do it. A good marriage won't do it. A family won't do it. Only God can fill what Augustine called the God hole on the side, inside of every man. Easter is not just about a story about a religious leader who came and lived 33 years on the earth and died on a cross. But it's a proof of who he is and who he was and who he is to come. Jesus proclaimed before he went to the cross, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives believes in, that believes in me never dies. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, when they took Jesus to crucify him, he didn't go alone. You may have seen the image that we showed you, or you may have seen it before. There were three crosses. That's because there were two other men that were put to get to death the same day Jesus chose to give his life for us. The Bible tells about these two criminals who were led to be executed along with Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed Jesus to the cross and the criminals who were also crucified, one on his right, one on his left, heard Jesus say these words from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. There were soldiers there that had put him on the cross that began to gamble for his clothes by throwing dice, the Bible says. The crowd watched and leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said, but he couldn't save himself. If you're really the Messiah, if you're really the chosen one, save yourself. Soldiers mocked him too. They offered him a drink of sour wine. They mocked him as a king. Oh, you're the king. They put a sign over him on the cross that said, King of the Jews, because you're not anybody else's king. One of the criminals who was hanging beside him, as Jesus was on the cross, after he had already said, forgive them, for they know not what they do, the criminal on the right side of him said, if you are this Messiah, he's talking to him now, they're having this conversation on the cross, if you are the Messiah, why don't you save yourself and why don't you save us? Why don't you prove who you are? What's interesting is he's, he's talking to Jesus who's in the middle, watch this, of not two men, but just like today on this Easter in 2019, he's in the middle of unbelievers and he's in the middle of believers. And it's a picture for eternity. That even on the cross, he came to seek and save the lost. And so the one criminal said, if you really are Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, I've heard about all these miracles that you did, but why don't you save yourself and why don't you save us? The criminal on the other side. I mean, picture this. This is recorded in the Bible. What are you talking about? Don't you have any fear? Can't you see that we deserve what we're getting, but this man has, has been accused of nothing? Pilate was going to let him go, but they wanted Barabbas. But, but this man has done no wrong. And then this criminal looked at Jesus and he said, please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at him and said, I assure you, Today, you'll be in paradise with me. You know what I find amazing is the guy didn't go, look, here's what I've done. 
Father, for I have sinned. Let me just confess my sins to you right here on the cross. I did this and did this. Jesus already knows every sin you've ever done. He already knows every way you're, you've messed up and every way you're going to mess up. And when he died on the cross, guess what? He's not looking for you to beg for forgiveness. He's already forgiven you. He's just looking for you to acknowledge that he is who he says that he is. And that day, that, that man, just by saying, please remember me when you come into your kingdom, watch this. Jesus said, I assure you, You'll be with me today in paradise. A British minister named W.E. Sangster began to lose his voice and mobility in the 1950s. He had a disease that caused a progressive muscular atrophy. He recognized the end was near, so he threw himself into writing and praying. And in the midst of his suffering, he he pled with God, let me stay in the struggle, Lord. I, I don't mind if I can no longer be a general, but just... Give me a regiment to lead. Sangster's voice eventually failed him completely and his legs became useless. But on Easter morning, just a few weeks before his death, he took a pen and shakily wrote this letter to his daughter. In it, he said, it is terrible to wake up on Easter morning and have no voice to shout, he is risen. But it would even be more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. You see, some of you have never shouted on the inside. You are Jesus. You are Lord. You're just living your life based on your belief. And for whatever reason, even not being, not being known or unbeknownst to you, you're, you're believing your own way. And it's, it's okay because it's your life, right? It's your life. But yet God so loved you that he gave his only son. That if you would believe, you wouldn't just inherit eternal life, but you would know the truth, and the truth would set you free. You see, Easter is not just about God's love for us. It's not just about Jesus being proven in who he was, but Easter is about you. It's about me. In Peggy Noonan's book, When Character Was King, she tells a story about a meeting and it was their first meeting between President George W. Bush and President Vladimir Putin, Putin of Russia. It was their first meeting, and as the world leaders were going to get together, Bush in his mind thought, I want to connect with him. And he read a story that when they began to talk, he, he brought the story up about Putin. You see, his mother had given him a Christian cross. Putin had even gone to Jerusalem to have it blessed. And as Bush began to touch on the story, Putin actually interrupted him, and he began to say, yeah, he said, I really loved wearing that cross. He said, uh, actually, I was in a house visiting, and the house burnt down. And he said, all I could think of was that cross is lost. He said, I motioned for a worker to come, and I wanted to ask him to look for that cross because it meant a lot to me. And as the worker walked over to Putin, as Putin was telling George W. Bush this story, he said, the worker stretched out his hand, and he showed me that he had already recovered the cross. Vladimir Putin would say to this to George Bush, he would say, it was like if something was meant for me. It was like this cross was meant for me. And Bush said, Mr. Putin, President Putin, that's what it's all about. That's the story of the cross. It was meant for you. 
You see, the cross was meant for you. It was meant for me. So I want to leave you with these three questions. The first question is, would you like to have every sin, every bad thing that you've ever done in your life, every bad thing that you'll ever do forgiven? I think everybody here would say, yes, I would like that. You see, we've all sinned. That's what the Bible says. We've all, if you can picture a, a, um, a dartboard with a bullseye. I've played darts a few times. I very rarely ever hit the bullseye. Sometimes that's the way we feel about our life, but that's what sin is compared to. Sin is compared to going through life and missing the bullseye, and yet we've all sinned. We've all messed up, and if you've ever done something where you needed somebody to forgive you, how many of you have ever done something where you needed somebody to forgive you? Then you know exactly the feeling of, I wish I could, I could be forgiven of this. Can I just tell you? That Jesus, when he died on the cross, when he said, forgive them for they know not what they do, he forgave us of our past, our present, and any future sins that we would ever commit. I want to ask you a second question. Would you like to have the same kind of power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living in you? I don't want to just live. I want to live life to its fullest. Would you like to have the kind of power that the impossible becomes possible? I do. Would you like to believe that there's actually a God that's for you, so who can be against you? Would you actually believe that regardless of what people said about you and against you, that if God's for you, it doesn't matter. It's like water off a duck's back. Would you like to believe that you are unstoppable? Because I'm going to tell you something. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. You are childs of God, and that makes you unstoppable. And, and if we could get that power, you say, what's the power? It's his power. When he rose from the dead, here's what the Bible says. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. On one occasion, Michelangelo, the great artist, turned to one of his fellow artists, and he said, why do you keep filling gallery after gallery with endless pictures of just one theme? The one theme of Jesus on the cross, the one theme of his weakness, the one theme of him hanging dead. Michelangelo went on to say, why do you concentrate on that passing episode as if it were the last work, as if the curtain dropped on him with disaster and defeat? And Michelangelo said this, that dreadful scene lasted only for a few hours, but to the end of eternity, Christ is alive. The stone has been rolled away, and he rules, and he reigns, and he triumphs. The last question is this, would you like to have your future secured to know where you are going after you die? Because I'm going to tell you something. As I approach 60, I'm realizing more and more every day that this life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It's here for a little while, then it passes away. We're all here for a little while, and then it passes away. And I've already said this once, but I want to say it one more time. We are not just human beings today having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience today. And God is very much concerned, yes, about your human experience, but more than that, he's concerned about your spiritual being. 
And I want to leave you with this last story out of the Bible, John, the 20th chapter. It was the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. It was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. <laughs> it was on a day like today that we celebrate Easter. Maybe not this exact day, but we're celebrating this day today. She ran, and she went, and she got Simon Peter and another disciple. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. He's not there. I saw, I saw an empty tomb. So Peter and the other disciple went, and they ran together. And the one disciple outran Peter. He reached the tomb first, and stooping in, he looked, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, the Bible says, came forward, and he, he went into the tomb. He too saw the linen clothes lying there, but in verse 7 of John chapter 20, listen to this, and the face of the cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why is that detail in Scripture? When the other disciple heard Peter say that, his grave clothes are in here, but there's, there's a folded napkin. He'd already seen the empty tomb, but that time he stuck his head back in, and look what the Bible says. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went in, and he saw, and he believed. So he saw the, the grave clothes the first time, but what he didn't see the first time was the folded napkin. When Peter said, hey, the grave clothes are here, but the napkin that covered his face is separate and it's folded. You say, what does that mean? Does that really have significance? Well, it caused the second disciple to believe. Because why were they going to the tomb? Because Mary Magdalene said, his body's been stolen. Somebody's taken his body. So they were going to see if it was true. But Jesus, in fact, had said, I am going to be crucified I'm going to be dead for three days, and I will rise again. But when they went, they weren't thinking they were going to see a resurrected Savior. Or they weren't thinking they were going to see an empty tomb. They were thinking they were going to see who stole Jesus' body. But when they saw the folded napkin. You see, in order to understand the significance of the folded napkin, you have to understand a little bit about Hebrew tradition of that day. The folded napkin had to do with the master and the servant, and every Jewish boy knew this tradition. When the servant set the dinner table for the master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. The table was furnished perfectly, and then the servant would wait just out of sight until the master had finished eating, and the servant wouldn't dare touch the table until the master was finished. Now, if the master were done eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers, his mouth, clean his beard, and would wad up the napkin and toss it onto the table. The servant would then know to clear the table. For in those days, the wadded up napkin meant, I'm done. But if the master got up from the table and he folded his napkin and he laid it beside his plate, the servant would not dare touch the table because the folded napkin meant, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So when the first disciple stuck his head, he just saw the wadded up grave clothes. He didn't think anything about it. He just stepped back. 
Peter walks in there. He's looking around. He sees the grave clothes, but then he sees the folded napkin. He sees it's not just tossed over there. They didn't just steal his body. Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, but he took long enough as a sign marked in the Bible to fold the napkin because everybody knew, I'm not done. I'm Jesus Christ. I've risen from the dead, and I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Now, you can hear that and not believe it. But I'm going to ask you a question. What would it take for you to believe? You see, your belief is your belief. Nobody can make you believe anything. But don't believe Jesus was who he said he was and is who he says he is. Because your daddy or your mommy don't by the way they live their life. Don't believe that Jesus is or isn't who he said he was and who he is. Because somebody lets you down who didn't live it the way you thought they should live it. One time Gandhi, who was almost convinced of being a Christian, saw other Christians and their behavior, and he said, I almost became a Christian, but I met him. Can I just tell you, Jesus died because he loves you, and he died for you so you could believe that God loves you. I'm going to ask you to bow your head, if you would, just for a minute. Nobody looking around, just all across this building. Just for a minute, close your eyes, and I want you to focus on what it is you believe. Today, we're not just here to have church. Today, we're not just here to be religious. We're here today because we celebrate the finished work of the cross and we celebrate over 2,000 years later because they never found his bones, he is risen. And if you're here and you walked into this place and you've never made it right with, between you and God, let me just plant this little seed in your mind. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me plant this little seed in your mind. If I believe in Jesus and I die and there's no heaven, I've lost nothing. But if you don't believe and you die, and he is real. Not only have you lost on this side of eternity, but you lose on that side too. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to awaken the best part of you. That God so loves you that he gave his only son for you. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth, if I believe in my heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, I'll be saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, then you'll be saved. You say, what does that mean? What does saved, being saved mean? It literally means that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he took all of your sins, past, present, and future, and he nailed them to the cross. But not only that, the Bible says that he destroyed the works of the destroyer against you. And you have an opportunity to live a life of freedom in Christ. The Bible says the person who knows Jesus gets freedom. Freedom to be everything that God's created you to be. And on top of all that, freedom to know in your heart of hearts that our time on earth ain't it. 
we'll either spend eternity in heaven or we'll spend eternity in hell. That is the truth. And if you're here and you say, I'm, I don't have that assurance today. I, I'm not right with God. I, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to try to get you to join our church. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to ask you to look at what you believe and decide for yourself. It's the biggest decision you'll ever make. Every head is bowed, every eyes closed. If you're here and you say, Keith, my life is not right with God and I want to get right with God. When I count to three, nobody looking around, when I count to three, just slip up your hand and say, I need to get my life right with God. If that's you on three, slip up your hand. One, two, three. Come on, all over this place, just lift up your hand and say, I need to get my life right with God. Hundreds of you have your hands raised. Anybody else? I need to get my life right with God. Yes. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Anybody else? There's some couples that need to do this together. You can put your hands down. Everybody look up here at me just for a second. I'm going to ask for you to stand with me, everybody. Just stand with me. And I'm going to ask that you not move from where you are, but just stand. Just stand where you are and listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The most important thing we can do with our life, watch this. Is if I'm walking this way, the Bible says repent for the kingdom of, of God is within your reach. What does repent mean? Does it mean just to say you're sorry? No, let me tell you what repent means. It means to change your mind. It's so difficult for us to change our mind. But if you're here and you say, I need to repent, I need to get right with God. Whether you raised your hand or not, with everybody standing, everybody standing. If that's you, you say, I'm ready to get right. On three, step out from where you are and come stand right down here. And you say, well, it's a long row, and I, I don't know. I don't know what people might. I, uh, listen, it doesn't matter. You know what matters? Today's your day. I said, today's your day. So if you say, I need to get my life right with Jesus. When I count to three, you step out from where you are and you come right down here. Are you ready? One, what's somebody going to think? doesn't matter what they think. It's your belief. It's your life. It's your decision. Two, I, I just don't know. Get deciding right this second because everything's about to change in Jesus' name. If that's you and you say, I'm ready to get it right. On three, you come. People are already coming. Come on, come right now. Come right now. Come right now. Let's give them a hand as they come. Come on, we're going to wait for you. They'll move out of your way on the road. Come on. We're going to wait for you. Come on, just step right down here. I'm going to pray for you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, church. Give them a hand as they come. Lead us in a song, Whitney. All right, listen to this. I'm going to ask that you not step out for a second. We'll dismiss you in a minute. This is real important. Here's what I want to say to everybody. Y'all just, just look at me. Just move this way if you would, guys. Just, just right, right this way, right over here. I want us to all pray this prayer. Let's repent together today. Let's make a decision together today. Say this with me. Everybody say this with me. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father. Come on, say it out loud. Don't say You don't have to say it loud, but just say it out loud. Just say, Dear Heavenly Father. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to cleanse me from my way of doing things. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I choose to serve you. I need your help. From this day forward, I make that decision. 
to be a Christ follower. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of every area of my life. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.